Last week, we started looking at the second petition, the second request in the model prayer. Now, we know the prayer. Sometimes we call it the Lord's Prayer, and we could recite it together. I'm not going to have you do that, but our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'm going to stop there because that's like three months worth of preaching that I just said. We stopped last week in the first message of two on the second request, which is your kingdom come. Now, this is the one that we just breeze right by and get to the rhyming words, let your will be done. But we take them separately in what we're doing here because I think Jesus is giving us an incredibly basic teaching here. And if we'll get this teaching, it not only will transform our prayer lives, it'll transform our Christian lives. Let your kingdom come. Last week, I tried to emphasize for us at this point that every kingdom has three things in common. There's a king, there's a people, a, let me put, say it this way, there's a ruler, and there's rulees, that's the subjects, that's, well, who is that in this kingdom we're talking about? That's us, all right? Who's the ruler? That'd be God. And then there's also the third part, and that's the rule. In other words, it is the regulations that are tied to life in the kingdom. It's that way of living that the king puts in place so that life in the kingdom reflects what he wants it to be. Now, see, that's where we miss it in prayer. Well, actually, we miss it on the ruler part. Back to the little girl who wanted to be queen. We all want to be in charge. But in this kingdom, only one person gets to be king. And unfortunately, it's not you. Well, actually, fortunately for me, it's not you. Fortunately for you, it's not me. But fortunately for all of us, it's God, not us. But see, that's a problem for us in prayer. Because our prayer lives tend to reflect us wanting God to do our bidding rather than the other way around. So that was last week. So I just gave you five minutes worth of repeat. Let's take another step with this, okay? Life in the kingdom, again, the whole point of this, that's why I titled this sermon, by the way, Still King, because we're still on this thing from last week, all right? What are some of the implications, if you will, some of the things that come with God being king, and especially in this particular case, when he, Jesus instructs us to pray, your kingdom come, what is it that we're praying for, really? We'll look at a couple of implications here. First of all, there is an ethical dimension to the kingdom of God. If we're to pray that God be in charge, then there has to be that part of the way he has structured life in his kingdom that we have to fall in line with. You remember they came to Jesus, the group of people, and they were actually testing him. And, and they said, okay, so what is the greatest commandment of all? Now, you ought to know that if you've been coming to church for 11 months that I've been here because we've hit this a number of times. You know why? Because Jesus himself said this is the most important commandment of all of them. What is it? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. If you just boil that down, Jesus is saying, with everything of who you are, God first. How are you doing with that, by the way? Well, that, that one rolls off the tongue pretty easily also, doesn't it? God first. In every part of your life, he's king. 
But there's a second part of that. Jesus went on to say, and the second is, love your neighbor as yourself. So that's the ethical part. I want to talk about that. This ethical dimension of life in the kingdom. In other words, if we're going to let him be king, and if we're to pray, let your kingdom come, then what we're saying is, we want you to be God in our lives, and that impacts how we treat people. So before I get too much deeper in this, let me give you a question to hang on to. Who is it in your way of thinking, who is it that doesn't really matter? You understand the question? That person or group of people in your life that when you get right down to it, you don't really care if they live or die. I know that sounds abrupt in church where we say, well, we love one another, preacher. Do we? Really? Do we? Let's, let's just try this on for a few minutes. Who is it in your life that doesn't matter? When I was a youth minister, 940 years ago now, when I was a youth minister, I went to a youth minister's training kind of a retreat thing. And they showed us a movie. It was called Cipher in the Snow. Cipher is a zero. Actually, they don't even have enough value to be a zero. It's just nothing. Okay, that's a cipher. C-I-P-H-E-R. And the whole point of this movie was that in this particular community, this, I think it was a high school kid, it could have been a junior high kid, was the person at school that nobody recognized. They were a nobody. And this person died, and nobody even knew enough to know who it was. Once they died, they found their body in the snow, frozen solid, and they couldn't even determine who the person was. And yet that person had gone to school with these kids forever. For those kids, that person didn't matter. Who is it in your life that just doesn't matter? The people you walk past without saying a word to them or even acknowledging that they're breathing. Who is it in your mind or in your heart that if they never come be part of the group that you're part of, that'd be fine with you? And let me just ask you, is that okay with God? That we have that kind of approach and that kind of thinking about people? You know that the Jews... The time that Jesus is speaking these words, they had some people that didn't matter to them. They were considered dogs. Now, that doesn't say as much today as it did back then. Because we think dogs are okay. Right? Well, my wife said right because she's got a dog that's more human than dog. Okay? This dog doesn't even have a dog's name. It's the name Pixie. Okay, that's no, I, I want Bruno or something like that for a dog's name, right? Her dog sleeps in the house. Her dog lives in the house. We will take it out occasionally because there are certain parts of dog living I don't want in my house. Fill in the blanks. So Pixie has it made, all right? She doesn't have to hunt down her food. She, we'll, just, we'll supply it for her if she'll just eat it occasionally. Now, on the other side of the map, we have an outside dog. His name is Nanook. Now, that's closer to a dog's name, but my son's girlfriend named it. Actually, it's his fiance now. I, I still want, you know, Brutus or Bruno or, you know, something like that. 
No, no, it's close enough. Last night, in the middle of the night, this dog lives outside. I should have said that from the beginning. Nanook lives outside. Now, he's size of a loaf of bread, maybe a little bit bigger than that, a little more powerful than that. And so last night, about 4 o'clock, Nanook starts going off. I mean, barking to beat everything. Now, we know him well enough to know there are different barks that Nanook has. If you pull up into my driveway and he sees you or hears you, he's going to give us a people bark. Now, I'm not going to tell you what it sounds like because that's his job, not mine. But I'll know from his bark that there's somebody at my house, all right? That's when we all run out the back door and go across the fence in the back. No, that's not true. You come by, we'll talk to you. It's right. But if there's an animal outside, then Nanook has an animal bark. And so at 4 o'clock in the morning, he starts off with his animal bark, all right? So now I'm thinking to myself laying there. Man, I wish he'd be quiet. And he goes on and on and on. So I reach over and I knock on the wall. You know, that, that's the lazy man's, hey, be quiet. All right? Doesn't do anything. He keeps going off. So then I start thinking, man, my neighbor's going to be upset. And he keeps barking. So then I'm thinking, now I'm upset. And so I'm thinking, I'm going to go out here and I'm going to find the nearest low-hanging tree limb. And we're going to teach him how to be quiet at night. I would never hang a dog, just for the record, right? Save your letters. So I go outside, and he is on the side of the house where the carport is at the fence, and he is going off at 4 o'clock in the morning. And so I take him over, and I, uh, I catch him. How should I say this? I, I, I explain to him the way of the Lord. Let's say it that way. And as soon as I let him go, he runs back over there and starts barking again. At this point, I'm thinking, something's up. So I went back in the house, went around to the carport, got a flashlight, went outside, and I'm walking around the, the carport looking to see what's up. And as soon as I get away from the door, something big moves under the car. Now, let me tell you, you ever seen a preacher jump on top of the roof flat-footed? It got my attention right now, I want you to know, because I was separated from safety. So I check around. Well, as it turns out, long and short is I look underneath my wife's car and there's an armadillo underneath there. Well, that's what my dog's barking about. Now, back to the deal about the dog. By the way, that armadillo, see, when I left this morning to come to church early and I, when I backed out, he was been under my car then and he was sitting right in the middle of the carport, which was about this far away from her door to her car. And I thought, I'll leave him there and watch her when she goes to get in her car to come to church. And she walks around and sees that thing there. See, that would have been my last great act as a living person. So back, back in, I got a broomstick, I poked the thing and moved him over. Finally, he ran underneath my daughter's car. And I thought, oh, I need a video of this when she walks out. All right. So back to the dog thing now, all right, and how we treat people. Now, my dog, one of the reasons we like having him around is, at least theoretically, he warns us about stuff. We like having him there. Now, if I wanted to treat my wife or my daughter as a dog, uh, I could have just left that armadillo there and left circumstances to play out. 
but I love them. And so I wanted to do something. I tried to work with them to help them avoid the hassle of what was going to happen if I did nothing. I want you to take all of that stuff and let's pull it together how we treat people. In Jesus' time, there was a group of people who were dogs, but they weren't the kind of dogs that I just described to you. A dog in their way of thinking was a cipher. They were a nobody. They didn't matter. And that meant those kind of people that they referred to as dogs didn't get any kind of humanity as it relates to how they treated them. You know what the name of those people were? They were called Samaritans. And in John chapter 4, Jesus gives us a picture of the rule of the kingdom of God and how we treat people. And those people who were dogs in the worst sense of the way, even the Jews wouldn't walk across their country. They would go the long way around rather than go and be polluted by the Samaritan dogs. And so in John chapter 4, we have that account where Jesus and his disciples, as they make their way across the countryside, he takes them through Samaria. That in itself teaches something to those disciples. There are no dogs in the kingdom of heaven. All right, now if I was going to say amen, that's the place I would have said it. There are no dogs in the kingdom of heaven. Now we treat people like dogs. But there ain't no dogs in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus teaches his disciples. He walks them through there. And then he sends them in town to eat. Oh, we're going to eat dog food now? While he's there, this woman comes out to the well. You know the story? And she's a cipher. What's worse than being a loose woman of the dog people? And she comes out. And Jesus gets in a discussion with her. Nobody talks to loose dog women. Except Jesus. Because in the kingdom of God, there are no dog people. And so he comes and he discusses with her. And he brings life and he gives it to her. The disciples come back and they cannot understand why Jesus would talk to somebody like that. You tell me that's not the church of the 21st century. We set people up as dogs. And we treat them like nobodies. And when we pray, let your kingdom come, we have to backslide if we're going to treat somebody like a dog. Because the king says, everybody matters in the kingdom. So there's this ethical dimension to this life we're talking about. It would be easier for you if I stopped there. But I won't. There's also an economic dimension to the kingdom of heaven I know some of you thinking oh man he'd been here 11 months hadn't talked about money today's the day but it's not going to be the way you maybe used to hearing about it I don't know how you're used to hearing about it there's this ethical economic now dimension to life in the kingdom of heaven when we pray your kingdom come it has to include an awareness of this part of our life the economic part. I remember the first time as a minister, a long time ago now, the first time as a minister that it dawned on me, it was one of those aha moments, that it dawned on me that for a church to spend a penny requires that somebody give a penny. 
You know, I know that's one of those kind of duh preacher moments, but I had to have that moment. I had to have that aha moment where, wait a minute, when I'm as a youth minister spending this money to do whatever it is, buy pizza for the kids, somebody had to already have given that money to pay for that pizza. Now, that was a, that was a major moment for me. And the next major moment came as I started putting that together in my mind. It started saying, well, you know what? That means that God's people need to understand the need to give. To the... See, there's no amens there either. I thought at least the finance committee would say amen to that. But let's process, <laughs> let's process through this for a second. I'm not here trying to get your money, okay? Matter of fact, I'm fixing to tell you it's not even your money. Because that's part of the deal. There's some principles that I want to give you here in kingdom economics. First of all, here's the first one. If you're prone to write stuff down, here's what you write down. All resources belong to the king. Boy, let me tell you, that goes totally against life in our times. You know, the mantra of our day, the thing that we build our lives on, is that old saying, get all you can, can all you get, Sit on the lid and poison the rest. That's our time. So as we come to this, we understand. Well, I, I, I heard this from a wife to a husband. They were newlyweds. And I heard her say this to him about three months into their marriage. Uh, you know, honey, all when we got married, all that you had became mine. And all that I had is still mine. <laughs> and I thought, there's a woman who understands marriage right there, I think. No, that's not right. But isn't that the way we approach life? All that I can get, I'm going to get. And if I have to get it from you, then so be it. By the way, that hits that ethical thing I just talked about, doesn't it? Okay, now there, there are lots of room for discussion in all of this and how that plays out. But as we come to this, remember, all resources belong to the king. Your bank account and all that's in it is not even yours. It is. Here's the second principle. I'm going I'm to flesh these out in a minute, but let me just go and get them out here. Second principle is... If all of the resources belong to the king, then we need to also understand that the king appoints managers over the resources. Now, that's us. Now, I'm not just talking about money, as you'll see here in just a second. But money's a good place for us to start. That's why I said, I'm, I'm not here trying to beat you over the head to get your money. But you don't have any money, okay? You may have management over some resources, that include money. But the principle of the kingdom is that all of the resources belong to the king. And that means that our role in that is to serve as managers for that. There's a good passage of scripture. I'm not going to take the time to go there. You can go read it. Matthew chapter 25 verses 14 through 30. It's the parable of the talents. It's where one guy gets five and another gets a couple or two or three and another one gets one. You remember that? And it, the manager comes back and he says, okay, let's give an accounting. And one guy had managed it well and doubled it. And another guy had managed it well and doubled it. The third guy had not managed it well and kept it. And he stood under judgment from that landowner 
accordingly. You see, here's the deal. Problems occur when I take the king's resources and view them as my own. Let your kingdom come. Among other things, that means, God, I give you total control of all that's mine because I realize that none of it's mine. I'm just a manager of your resources. And when we get that wrong and it becomes our resources, whether it's in your bank account or the church's bank account, churches are just as guilty as individual people are in taking this principle and making it all about us. It's about him. The king is only one and it's not us. And all resources belong to him. Therefore, we are his managers. Which leads me to the third principle. This is the one that just really hurts. All resources are to be used for the king's glory. All resources are to be used for the king's glory. How are you using your money? Let me take it right down to the prayer thing where we tend to live on a day-to-day basis. When you pray that God would supply money for you or resources for you in whatever sense, are those ultimately to be used for His glory or are they for you and what you want? I'll tell you, this is not an easy teaching. It's, it's much easier for us to memorize the model prayer, recite it, and just keep right on moving to the part that rhymes with this phrase. Jesus doesn't give us that option. I don't believe he ever intended us to use this as one of those things we just recite and move on and say we've done our religious duty. He's teaching us about life in the kingdom. And life in the kingdom says all of the resources belong to the king, are managed by his subjects, and all of those resources have to be used for his glory. Let me just hit that on the church level for a second, since that's who we are gathered here. Anytime a church spends a dollar, it ought to be used for God's glory. You want to give you another one? If God has said to us as a church... This is where I want you to go. This is my area for you to focus in on. God then obligates himself to fund that work. I didn't expect any amens there. Because that flies right in the face of our humanistic Christianity that says we'll decide what we're going to do and then we're going to have to go have a fundraiser to come up with the money for it. Let me tell you something. If we'll make sure that we do only what God calls us to do, he'll fund it. All right, I'll let that one kind of, well, I'll start to say ferment for you, but that's not a good Baptist word, is it? So let me make sure that we're on the same, same page. Let's move off of the money thing for a minute. Let's talk about some other resources that fit under this umbrella. All resources belong to the king. We're managers of resources. And all use of those resources need to glorify the king. Here's one of the resources I want you to think about. Time. 
is a resource. When I was a kid, there were many times, many, 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 many times, I thought my dad needed to be slapped. Now, I never said that to him. Probably still wouldn't. But there were times that I just wanted to go, somebody slap him, would you please? You know, one of the times was that is when he would walk into a room where I had been, where I had left the light on. (laughs) And he would say this. What, are you trying to make the electric company rich? Actually, no, Dad, I'm not nearly thinking ahead enough to think that. I just left it on. I forgot it was on. But in his mind, every little thing mattered when it came to electricity in our house. Now, here's what I want you to get from that. You realize when it comes to time, every one of us is given X amount of time every day. You know how much time that is? This is the simple question part. How much time do you get every day? The same that everybody else gets. 24 hours. I'll just dismiss you. We'll go to lunch if that's what you prefer. (laughs) Getting rough in here, I know. Every one of us is given the same amount of time, 24 hours every day. I use this in counseling some, so let me do a little group therapy here. If you take a pie. Now, I, I do well with food illustrations, okay? So let's use a pie as an example, all right? If you have a pie that's this big round, first of all, congratulations, that's a big pie. I'm proud of you, right? If Let's say this pie represents your 24-hour time allotment every day. And you can divide that up into however many pieces. If it's me and my brother dividing that pie, like an apple pie, there's going to be one cut right down the middle, and both of us get half. All right? But in your time, you divide that up however you want to divide it up. Okay? So I have some awareness of some of our teenagers because I went on the Disciple Now with them, and I know some of them, if they have a pie with 24 hours in it, they're going to want... 12 hours of sleeping time, right? Especially if we can borrow from the school attending time and put it on the sleeping time. See, all right, you get 24 hours and you can cut it up time-wise any way you want to do it. So let me ask you, how do you cut yours up and what piece does God get of the time that you have? We go to work. Some things we have to do, we have to go to work. Maybe you have to travel to get to work, and you know that's a 30-minute section of your morning and a 30-minute of your afternoon, so there's an hour that's gone. And you've got to sleep, so there's another six or seven hours that's gone. What part does God get of that pie? All resources belong to the king. And all resources are for the king's glory. And we're managers of those. You know, here's the deal. If you take your time allotment and you fritter it away on non-kingdom things and then some kingdom thing comes up, you don't have the time because you used it on a different kingdom. It's true for energy also. I don't mean like 
you know, energy. I'm talking about your energy. I, 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 there's one person in my life I talk to him on a fairly regular basis. How you doing? I'm tired. Hey, I understand. I, I get being tired. That's the byword of this generation. Because we take our 24 hours and we pack stuff into it. But you only have a pie's worth of energy. I use this in counseling a whole lot. Because we spend energy doing all kinds of different things. We spend emotional energy fretting over stuff that we have no control over. Well, you know, those, those poor penguins in Antarctica, I don't know who's going to look after them. And we, we just consume and obsess over stuff like that. And we're taking that pie of energy that God has given us as a resource to further His kingdom and we use it on stuff that has nothing to do with His kingdom. So when... And I'll say it this way. So when a ministry opportunity comes along, I'm just too tired. I, I, boy, that's a good project, preacher, but I just don't have the energy to do that. And so because of the way we manage the resource of energy, we can't do kingdom work. Let me tell you something. God's going to hold this generation accountable for the way we manage our time and our energy. Because just outside the doors of this church and every other church on this planet is a lost world crying for the gospel. And we're just, I'm just tired. Preacher, that's a good thing. I'm just too tired. I can't do that. Managers for the king's glory. So as you go into tomorrow... Nah, let's don't let you off the hook that much. The rest of this day, what are you going to do with your time? Well, if you don't intend to let God have it, then don't bother praying your kingdom come. Because you're lying through your teeth when you pray that and don't intend to let God be king. Let's pray. So, Lord, we ask you to be gracious to us. We need help. These are the kind of things that we don't even think about in our day-to-day -day lives, and yet they are fundamental to how we live and breathe each day. Lord, I don't want anybody to feel beat up in all of this. What I do want is for me first, and by extension all of us, to be really honest with you, and evaluate whether or not we really want you to be king or not. And I'm grateful that it doesn't matter whether we want it or not. You are king. You always will be. You always have been. And I'm grateful for the king's mercy and grace. Help us to take seriously the stewardship of our lives. Give us the ability to see those people that maybe we or those around us have said those people don't matter. And we use our tongues to cut them down. We use our hands to push them down. We use our resources to keep them down. Please forgive us. Help us to see people as you do. 
and give us a heart for them that causes us to take the resources that you've given us and with all we know how to do, led by your Spirit, step into the fray for your kingdom's sake. Father, I believe that you are about to do something in this place. And we're so grateful. Make it so is our prayer in Jesus' name.